welcome to episode 14 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here to talk about all of the times in history where we effed up. What are we talking about this week, Cody? Uh, we're talking about something that, uh, as I indicated last time, I'm surprised it took us this long to get to. Mm-hmm. The American Revolution. Oh, boy. That sort of thing is my bag, baby. You already used that joke one time. You I know, that's funny. Uh, I'll use it again. You used that joke last time. You can't use the same joke on two uh, sequential podcast episodes. Uh, show me in the law where that says that. I it. I want no- title, I want chapter, I want subchapter and paragraph where it says that. First of all, stop hitting the table. Second of all, it is known. It is known. No. Yeah. No. Can't use the same joke on two sequential episodes. Well, I already did. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to edit it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll make specific notes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about the, the revolution. Uh, one specific mistake uh, that uh, really kind of led to, or drastically altered the course of the history of this country and the world, really. Um, yeah, so this episode, it's got it all. It's got, you know, the revolution. It's got, uh, you know, British aristocrats being terrible little snowflakes with bruised egos. Jeez. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's got it all. So, without further ado, um, so, the American Revolution uh, broke out in the American col- or on the American colonies in April 1775 uh, after years of increasing tensions with Great Britain. Uh, Early on in the war, uh, the Americans seized Fort Ticonderoga in northern New York Mm -hmm. in May 1775, but then lose the Battle of Bunker Hill in June of that year and failed to take Quebec City in December. Uh, The Americans tried to invade Canada at one point, and that just, that might get a whole episode in and of itself. Oh boy. At some point in the future, but... Uh, fortified American positions overlooking Boston forced the British to evacuate the city in March of 1776. Okay. So 1775 doesn't go too well for the British. It's kind of well, it's kind of a draw, really, but they're just okay. kind of stuck in those positions mm-hmm. uh, for the winter uh, until March when they leave. Um, American forces under George Washington and British forces under General William Howe uh, they moved to New York City around New York City in some in the summer of 1776. Okay. Uh, How I'll I'll give a little background to him because he becomes important to our story, but not George Washington. Uh, not really. Oh. Plus, he also kind of needs no introduction. So. Needs no introduction. Yes. Have you ever spent a one dollar bill? That is all the introduction you need. Exactly. How <laughs> um, uh, had been born in August seventeen twenty nine in England, the third son of the Viscount Howe. So we're back to made up British titles again. <laughs> Uh, he joined the British Army in 1746. It's not made up because it did gain you entrance into fancy parties. Yeah, and it got hit. I mean, being from a noble family didn't exactly hurt your military career in this time period. Because so. <laughs> military prowess was not the reason why you no. were a military. Oh, no, no. A lot of times they would buy their positions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he serves in the French and Indian War, um, most notably at the uh, Battle of the Plains of Abraham in 1759 up in Canada. Hmm. Uh, one of the more decisive battles of the French and Indian War. Uh, he was promoted to Major General in 1772 and sent to America, or back to America in March 1775. Despite sympathizing with some of the colonists' gripes, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you, you kind of have a point here, mm-hmm. but, you know, He's in the army, serves king and country. He uh, was a good little soldier. Yes. Uh, he was appointed to lead British land forces 
uh, in the colonies in September 1775 after the recall of General Thomas Gage. Okay. Uh, so, Howe's the one in charge of the British forces at this point. Why did North Gage America. get recalled? Uh, well, he was the guy who had... Uh... Oh. Uh, he was the guy who had uh, not... He had not done as well. He had not crushed the rebellion early on. Uh, so, he was like, okay, well, you're not doing a good enough job. So, random question. Do you think that anybody ever just out and out lied about what they were doing in the military? And they were just like, I've been so prolific and great and just sent letters and we're like oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. there's plenty of examples of it um, really yeah i mean it's not like you had no internet back then so it's kind of hard to follow up on these things <laughs> i was just wondering like maybe gage wrote some letters and he's like no we're doing very very well the americans have been crushed we are we're succeeding very well <laughs> yeah uh there are plenty of examples of that i mean not really pointing, not really going to get into it here, but there's several examples out throughout history where it's like they just lied about, oh yeah, we we totally won, the enemy has been defeated. <laughs> On an unrelated note, I need fifty thousand more men. <laughs> so that sounds like a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, the American forces and the British forces under Washington and Howe, they're moving towards New York City. Uh, throughout the summer of 1776, uh, the British forces they sail out of Boston and kind of circle around New England and then into New York, whereas Washington just marches from Boston to New York. Okay. Um, the Continental Congress, in the meantime, in July, declare independence. Yeah, small thing. Uh, the Americans lose control of New York City after a few battles. Um, the battles of Long Island in August, White Plains in October, and Fort Washington in November. Oh, Washington's forces, they have to retreat all the way to Pennsylvania to regroup. Dang. Uh, Was Fort Washington named after him? Yes. Whoa. Yeah, a lot of times it's like, it's just a temporary fort. They would just put up, they would just name it after a general in the army or something. Is it a fort or is it a tent? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Calling it a fort's probably generous. Oh, okay. Um, Howe entered winter quarters in New York City because at this time you didn't really fight during the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in these areas. Polite men don't. No. It's too cold. Yeah, but uh, facing low morale and expiring enlistments, Washington... Famously decides to strike a nearby Hessian garrison at Trenton, New Jersey. And on Christmas night, Washington leads his army across the Delaware River and surprises the Hessian garrison, winning an unexpected victory. Is that the painting, Washington crossing the Delaware? It did not look like that. Well, I know, but that's yeah. what it was commemorating. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody's going to stand up in a boat yeah, like that. Yeah, that boat would have capsized. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, a tall person. Yeah, he was like... Six four in the time when most men were like five five, so <laughs> very yeah. tall. Yeah, and Martha Washington was only like four eleven, so they were a, they cut a very striking pair. Well, I mean, isn't it? Uh, isn't it like debated about that Washington was maybe like asexual? Not because he didn't have any natural born children, right? Uh, well, uh, he did catch smallpox earlier on in his life, and that can come sometimes lead to. Problems. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the it's been speculated it's, it's more likely that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you you basically said that it's a famous battle against the Hessians, and when you said Hessian, all I can remember is Sleepy Hollow and Christopher Walken with yeah, his teeth, with his filed down teeth. Yeah. So what were Hessians? I, I'm Germans. not fam- familiar. Like ger- like a uh, Germany at this time was a bunch of little small states, mm-hmm. and a lot of times like if they weren't active in a war at that time, they would just be like, 
hey, we'll sell you our army as mercenaries for a while. So they were mercenaries for the British? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. Dang. Scary. Yeah, um, but they win. Um, the victory boosts the army's flagging morale, which was further enhanced by a victory at Princeton on, J- on January 2nd, 1777. Uh, Washington then entered his own winter quarters at Morristown, New Jersey, in between Howe's force in New York City and the American capital, Philadelphia. Okay. So if Howe wants to come at Philadelphia, he'll have to come through Washington first. Okay. Probably wouldn't have been that hard for him to do, but... Yeah, I mean, he's having to recoup after two major battles, and it's also very cold. And also, it's like the the Continental Army was not, it was not really up to snuff with the British Army Mm. at the time, so. Well, they were like a ragtag band, right? Yeah, yeah. Ill-supplied. A lot of luck. A lot of luck. Yeah. Um, And a good general. Yeah, so, rewinding a little bit, Mm -hmm. I had mentioned um, that the Americans tried to take uh, Quebec City in 1775. Mm -hmm. Uh, They failed to do that on New Year's Eve. Um, why, why were they trying to take Quebec City? Uh, they thought that they could, you know, pull Canada into their kind of confederation of states they were forming. Because mm. the British controlled Canada at this time. So, mm-hmm. uh, And also it was seen as like, you know, this is where like a lot of their forces could be concentrated. Okay. Maybe take them out of the war early. Plus, you know, the, the British had only, held, only had, uh, held Quebec for like less than two decades since they took it from the French. So maybe they're like, hey, you know, you don't like the British either. Anyway, um, that fails on New Year's Eve, 1775. Uh, General Richard Montgomery was killed, and his subordinate, General Benedict Arnold, Uh was wounded in the leg. Now, I'm going to take a side note here. Do not. Oh, oh, no, no, we're doing this. So, listeners, uh, uh, this is some (laughs) time back. Uh, My my lovely co-host and I uh, had a little bit of a disagreement. About Benedict Arnold and people's knowledge of him, I was a, I am uh, uh, of the what I believe correct belief that most Americans do know who Benedict Arnold is, as opposed to Teresa who does not. So what what we're gonna do, listeners, is once this episode is released, I will put a poll on our Twitter page, our, our, our Twitter thing. Yeah, that thing. Because, yeah, social media. I do it well. It's at we effed up. Yeah, that. Uh, I'm going to put a poll up. And if you could, listeners, please answer yes or no if uh, you knew who Benedict Arnold was before this podcast, before this episode comes out. Please, help help me set this woman straight. I'm just, all I'm saying is I don't think that, I, I think that people are familiar with the name, but I don't think... And specifically what I said at the time was that I don't think people know that he was a traitor. I, and maybe I'm not giving people enough credit, but I would say that most people our age and younger do not know that Benedict Arnold was a traitor. And or dis- do not remember that from their history classes when they were in high school. And I disagree. So, listeners, just, you know, answer. So, a little side note. C- Cody anyway. is saying this, like, very high and mighty, although he has no idea about anything that's happened musically in the past hey. 40 years, so. What does that have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with stuff. And also, what does Benedict Arnold have to do with anything at all right now in the world? Oh, speechless. That's right. Okay, continue. Anyway, listeners, just back me up on this, all right? <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, so American forces, they were weakened by a smallpox outbreak. Oh, no. They had to retreat back to Fort Ticonderoga in northern New York, if you remember, Mm -hmm. and winter there over 1776 to 77, so. 
I remember Ticonderoga because that is a brand of pencil that I prefer. <laughs> Did you know that? It's probably in the recesses of my mind somewhere, but... It's my favorite type of pencil. It's not mechanical. It's like wooden, old-school pencil, but they have the best erasers, and they don't have to be sharpened that often. They don't break all the time. It is easy to overlook the quality of a good eraser. I'm just saying. You should check out the Ticonderoga pencil, and you'll be like, yeah. dang, I'm know, never going back. Because I know other people are prone to make mistakes, but so I know erasers are important. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, while in New York City, uh, Howell begins to plan for the 1777 campaign season. So is that Howell or How? H-O-W-E. Howe. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, he settles on attacking Philadelphia, which would give him the chance to, one, smash Washington's army. Dang. Uh, hopefully, like, finally, like, wipe it out. And be like, I am capture. the victor. And two, scattering the Continental Congress, or capturing them. Oh, boy. Because, uh, yeah, because they were all, like... Uh, you signed the Declaration of Independence, you were kind of signing your own death warrant in it's, terms of the British. It's interesting to me because I think we forget that at the time, they these guys were like big-time traders, and also their like life was on the line yeah. by signing this and oh, also yeah. participating in these meetings. They could have literally been killed. When Benjamin Franklin, after Benjamin Franklin signed it, he said, you know, uh, well, gentlemen, we shall all hang together or we shall most assuredly hang separately. Mm. So... Yeah, if we so, get caught, we're going to get, we're, yeah. We're going to be hanged. Yeah, especially like any of the diplomats they sent overseas to France, mm -hmm. like Franklin or John Adams mm -hmm. or Jefferson. It's like, they, if they got caught, they, like, and there were a few instances, I know at least for John Adams, where his, the ship taking him to Europe was like, was, it was spotted by a British warship. And if they'd been caught, he would have been hung. So he had to just have a fat ship all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's just interesting. I think we forget when it comes to, like, founding fathers. While imperfect people themselves and, you know, nobody is perfect and yeah. lots of them committed terrible acts against Owned humans. human beings. Yeah, so um, I'm not to say that they're perfect or that they're beyond reproach, but to consider the fact that these treasonous acts were just that treason and the king did not look favorably upon all no. this and they were... Very, very, very aware that they were all, you know, their lives were on the line yeah. by doing this. So, like I said, signing their own death warrant. So it's kind of, it's just kind of interesting. I think we forget that. I think it gets lost when we're just like, oh yeah, they were like noble patriots, and you know, all came together. But like this was some like legit spy stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. At, this, at the point, I mean, it, it's not a given that they were going to win at this point, right? So. Um, but anyway, uh, so Howe set on attacking Philadelphia. He sends a letter off to the effer upper of our episode, George Germain. Okay. Now he sends a letter off detailing his plan. Now this is key to remember. Germain receives it on February 23rd, 1777. Okay. So it's made, so it's his plan, the house plan has made its way across the ocean to Germain sitting in his office. Okay. Sitting on his desk. So. He's in he's in England. He's in London, yeah. London, okay. Yeah. So, February 23rd, 1777. Just keep that in mind. Okay. I'm going to go into a little background about Germain. Okay, Germain, uh, he was born as George Sackville in January 1760. <laughs> he was like, I'm changing that immediately. Well, you know, I'll get into why it's changed. Okay. Uh, he was the third son of the Duke of Dorset. Once again, fancy party. 
King George the First was his godfather. Okay, well that's that's a little bit more of a uh, cred, street cred. Yeah, being the yeah. king, being your godfather. Yeah, uh, he served in the British Army during the War of the Austrian Succession in the 1740s and the Seven Years' War later on. It's like how? Okay. Um, give you a little bit of a his military prowess. Oh boy! Uh, the Battle of Fontenay in 1745 during the War of the Austrian Succession. He was ca- he was captured by the French. <laughs> uh, later on during the se- uh, Seven Years' War. Uh, at the Battle of Minden in 1759, he refused direct orders to send in his cavalry troops. Okay. His reasoning was that he did not want the cavalry commander, whom he disliked, to, quote, gain glory. Oh, wow. So even though they were on the same side, he's like, nah, oh, yeah. that, oh, guy's, yeah. that guy's a dork. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, he was court. He was sent home and court-martialed. Wow! Uh, and he would not accept responsibility. He's like, I was fully justified because that guy's a dick, <laughs> and I um, don't like him. And the judge was like, you know, he's yeah. got a point. Well, you no. can go in war again, sir. No, he was found guilty. Oh, <laughs> and he was ruled quote unfit to serve his Majesty in any military capacity whatsoever. And the king's like, oh, come on. The judge was like, you are so terrible. Uh, no, you are not allowed to be in the military ever again. You, not only are you guilty of this, you are a terrible human, and you are never going to yeah. be in the army. The, the first instance of fragile snowflake egos <laughs> that we will run into. Okay, he didn't want the like. Regardless of you know, one, it was a direct order to do. Yeah, could you imagine like a some colonel and like you know, in. Iraq or wherever you know troops are today, some generals should be or colonel be like, mm, no, I don't like that tank commander, and uh, no, he no, I don't like him. So no, he he's no, no he's not going to lead those troops in a battle. It's it, yeah, this he might a, get fame from it. It's not like a crimson tide situation. Yeah, where it's like okay, I have a really good legit reason to you know say no to this order. This is more like. I don't like this guy. This is a vanity thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It just... The the first example of that in this episode, but not the last. Oh, boy. Yeah. Sounds like a great guy. Yeah. Um, but his reputation was rehabilitated in the mid-1760s. Okay. Um, he's How was a- it rehabilitated? <laughs> Did he do, like, kind works? Did he work- volunteer in an orphanage? Uh, he gets or- elected to Parliament. Uh, oh, boy. You know, starts, you know, maybe sucking up to the king a little bit more. So he wears more wigs. So so the lesson of this episode... He wears episode, extra powder in his wig. Yeah, so yeah. the lesson of this episode is, if you mess yeah. up, wear more yeah. powder in your wig. And remember, he's the son of a duke. Oh, yeah. And so, the godfather of the king. Yeah. Or godson of the king, yeah. I mean. So, you know, yeah. He probably called in some favors. Probably. Um, in 1769... Sackville inherited the estate of Lady Elizabeth Germain, who was a family friend who died childless. <laughs> At this point, this is where he changes the name to George Germain. Can I please, can somebody please be my rich, not parent, <laughs> so that when they die, I can inherit all their stuff? And change your name to their their last name? I mean, changing name is not as optional. He didn't have to do that. No. But, but it would be nice to have somebody, you know, rich to leave me stuff. Yeah. Plus, he was also the third son, so it's not like he was going to inherit anything anyway, mm-hmm. so... Exactly. Uh, so, in November 1775, Germain is appointed as Secretary of State for the Colonies and charged with overseeing the war effort. 
Okay. So he's like the civilian, he's like the, uh, not Secretary of Defense, but like kind of like the civilian guy in charge of the war effort. Okay. Because he can't serve for the, the military anymore. Yeah. The guy who was captured by the French and refused to follow orders because he didn't want some other guy to gain glory from the battlefield is now in charge of the British war effort in the American Revolution. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. Yes. Do you see where this is going? Called some. Called in some more favors. Yeah. Oh, let him be on there. So let uh, little Jermaine be on there. Meanwhile, another general was in London named John Burgoyne, uh, and he was pushing for the command of the forces that were in Quebec, uh, who were primed for a push downward into New York State. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Burgoyne is also important, so I'll give you a little bit of background on him. Okay. Uh, born in February 1722, the grandson of a minor British noble. Oh. So not as not as fancy as Howe and Germain, but you know, like not quite lo- a viscount, maybe yeah. a a, a sub viscount. Yeah, like a baron or something. I don't even know what lower than. I think it was like Duke, Marquess, Earl, Viscount, Baron. There's nothing else underneath that. Lower Baron. <laughs> I think there is something called a baronet. Baronet. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, yeah. But anyway. Because it doesn't really matter. Like, the the titles are all made up, and you don't, like, a baronet could be more wealthy and more influential than even a duke or, like, a marquess. Like, it it didn't matter at all. It had very little to no bearing on, it's just a thing that you said before your name. You signed your letters with. Or after, rather. But, um, anyway, he joins the British Army in 1743. He steadily rose through the ranks, becoming a major general by the time the revolution broke out. Okay. So he actually worked his way up, because he wasn't important enough to just be given a position. He wasn't rich enough to, to buy one. So. Well, he was the son of a minor noble. Grandson. So. Grandson yeah. of a minor noble. Yeah. So. Uh, he arrived in Boston in May 1775 to join those forces, but he returned to Britain in early 1776. Uh, with reinforce- or He returned to the Americas with reinforcements and expelled the American forces from Quebec. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, so, um, but disagreements with his superior, the governor of Quebec, Guy Carleton, uh, led Burgoyne to return to Britain to personally pitch a plan for 1777. Oh, so okay. Like, I got my plan, I'm going to go pitch it in person. So this dude in Quebec City is, like, not helpful. Oh, yeah, just just wait. He's not repping me. <laughs> just, just wait for it. Oh, um, boy. Burgoyne's plan is to move his army down Lake Champlain... And take Fort Ticonderoga, mm-hmm. while a detachment under Lieutenant Colonel Barry St. Ledger would move west from Lake Ontario towards the Hudson River. So, I'm going to show you some pictures here of these guys. So, that's William Howe. Okay. Fancy. Yeah. That's George Germain. Mm-hmm. Looks like a lot of men of that time. <laughs> yeah, looks very conceited. Uh, that's Burgoyne. Yeah. So, kind of just generic. Everybody wears the yeah. same hair back then. So, so that's Burgoyne's plan. Like, he's going to move south from here, down Lake Champlain, down this way to Fort Ticonderoga. And then this other guy, St. Ledger, is going to move this way. Okay. So the plan is to, like, for Burgoyne to move, keep moving south. It's a pincer move. Yeah. St. Ledger, keep moving east, and they'll meet in Albany. So they're going to squeeze them. Yeah. Okay. So the plan, the other component of the plan that Burgoyne uh, pitches to Germain... 
is that House Force would move up from New York City, and they would all converge in Albany. Okay. okay. So what this would do is it would cut off the New England colonies from the rest of the country. Okay. So like, so if the if the British have New York, mm-hmm. which this would effectively give them control of New, like all of New York, mm-hmm. uh, they could cut off New England from the rest of it. They could blockade them, kind of cut them off from like getting any external supplies, mm-hmm. anything like that. And New England is really kind of like the hotbed of uh, rebel activity. Mm-hmm. Like it's where it started. A lot of the leaders of the movement are from there. Okay. Like like John and Samuel Adams, uh, John Hancock, so on and so forth. Um, and it would allow them to kind of quickly move into the South. Because the South had a lot of loyalists who were like the people who um, did not want to leave the British Empire. Well, I think them, like, wasn't it more wealthy people would yeah, this have is a like, tendency to concentrate in the South? Yeah. Well, because... Like landowners. Plantations. And... Slaves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... Um, so... So it would be, they could very easily just quickly just take the South, pacify it, and then move back up and, like, take the rest of the country. Like Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay. So, and then, like, once the rest of the country's pacified, then they can move into New England and completely pacify it. So, cutting it... (laughs) Pacify. We're using air quotes, pacify. Yes. Um, A.K.A. You all better get on on board with our plan, yeah. otherwise we're going to kill you. Yeah. Take your stuff. Uh, this plan of Burgoyne's would uh, take most of the 1777 campaign season. Okay. So just this effort to cut off to, to cut off New England, take the whole of New York. They just uh, he according to his plan, Washington's army and Philadelphia they could wait because okay. Washington really isn't that big of a threat. Yeah, he he. Uh, Defeated a small Hessian garrison mm-hmm. at this little podunk town in New Jersey, but he can't like he when faced with the actual British army, he was defeated handily in New York. Mm-hmm. He's not much of a threat. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and Philadelphia. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Sure. They can wait. So it's important that we cut off New England first okay. and take New York. Jermaine I mean, from like from a thousand yard stare. Like, it sounds like a good plan to to cut off New England. If yeah. that's where the rebel activity is, is really, you know, if they don't have access to supplies, if they don't have access to people, or to, like, spread the message, mm-hmm. or contact Philadelphia, then, because New York is, you know, is going to block New England from Philadelphia, then it sounds like a good plan. Yeah, and it possibly would have worked, but for, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, Germain receives his plan for Burgoyne, or the plan for Burgoyne, on February 28th, 1777. So, just five days after he gets Howell's plan. So, there's both of them sitting on his desk. Okay. What do you think? Which one do you think he picks? The one he got first. Yes. But he also picks Burgoyne's plan. Both of them at the same time? Yeah. Okay. So even though Howe's plan would preclude, really preclude him from being part of Burgoyne's plan, because Howe wants to go south to take Philadelphia. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is where he f's up. Okay. So I'm just like having a hard time understanding how he would think that it's a good idea to do both at the same time. Because he's an idiot. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, so in March 1777, he 
proves Hal's plan to take Philadelphia and does not explicitly order him to move north to participate in Burgoyne's strategy. So he's got his own totally separate thing. Yep. Very unlikely that he knows about Burgoyne's plan at all. However, he also proves Burgoyne's plan without informing him of Hal's plan to take Philadelphia, <laughs> which would preclude Hal from taking part in Burgoyne's campaign. So he can't. So was Hal supposed? Hal was supposed to be the one that comes in from west to east, right? No, he's the one supposed. He's he's in New York. He's supposed to come up from New York oh. and join them all in Albany. Okay, so the the Burgoyne's going to come down from Quebec. Yes, down south, and a little bit of his force is going to come in from Lake Ontario, right, and move east. And then they're like, all right, then we're all going to meet up in Albany, and then we're just going to be in force, and we're going to take Albany. Yeah, and like all these rebel. Like, we're going to clear it of all these rebels. So he's so. counting on another large force to meet up with them in Albany for mm-hmm. the next step in the plan. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to get it. No. <laughs> so Burgoyne leaves for Quebec in May 1777. So it's been, like, months. Oh, months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While Germain revises his orders to Howe. Because he, he probably realizes, yeah, I didn't actually tell him he needs to do this. Oh, crap. I, I, I just envision him just, like, you know, laying in bed one night. And then the light bulb and, turns and on. And then all of a sudden, like, he just wakes up, his eyes are wide, and he's, like, screaming, like, Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. So, my, my godfather's gonna be so mad. Well, his godfather's dead by this point, oh, so. Oh, well. The ghost of my godfather is going to be so mad. <laughs> his his great-grandson on the throne is going to be so mad. <laughs> um, so, Jermaine revises his, his orders to Hal after this, you know, midnight awakening, uh, telling him that his Philadelphia campaign should, quote, be executed in time for you to cooperate with the army ordered to proceed from Canada and put itself under your command. End quote. So he's like... You could take Philadelphia, but make sure you ha- get, you leave yourself enough time to go back and join this other force. Hurry it up. So he doesn't say, like, no, you shouldn't do this. You should do both. <laughs> so he puts a lot on his plate, yeah. is what you're saying. And this is kind of like with our, um, oh, what was it? William Patterson episode with the Darien scheme, like that whole thing. Mm-hmm. This is another instance where it's the... the Slowness of transatlantic communication really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because by the time those orders reached New York City, which is, you know, the last place that Jermaine knew that Howe was, you know, he wrote the address, you know, William Howe in New York City, you know, on the envelope, uh, Howe had already sailed with his army. Oh, boy. For Chesapeake Bay. Okay. Hoping to attack Philadelphia from the south and leaving him unable to assist Burgoyne. Now, this is kind of odd, because he goes to Philadelphia via Chesapeake Bay, which I'll show you a little map here. So, ignore that top part. So, here's New York. So, Hal's here. Philadelphia's here. He comes around all the way down here. Maybe he was thinking, like, they'll never guess that we're going to come via this way southern bay. Well, it's like, you know, you could go straight there, or you could come up the Delaware River. Mm-hmm. Which probably would have been a better idea. So, like, it's been a subject of debate, like, 
Why does he go that that far south to go to Philadelphia? Maybe he was drunk on the boat and they missed the Delaware River. Mm, no. Like- well, there's been speculation because he because Hal knew of Burgoyne's plan. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was aware of this that it existed. Um, it's theorized by historians that he went that far south to come up and take Philadelphia so that he would not have to join Burgoyne's campaign. So he was big salty about it and he was like, if I take extra time to get there, then I couldn't possibly have helped. Kind of, because then, like, it's Burgoyne's campaign. How would have to have been under the command of Burgoyne? Oh, okay. And he he wanted he wanted the glory of defeating Washington, taking Philadelphia for himself. <laughs> oh, so boy. again, another again, snowflake, fragile snowflake ego. <laughs> like these guys, like it's coming such a such a recurring theme. That all these British aristocrats, or, or I guess any or, high up aristocrat, um, their egos are so fragile. <laughs> because it, it's like, this is all they really have, and they mm-hmm. know it. That, that Like, all they have is their weird, made-up, fancy little title, and all of mommy and daddy, well, really, daddy's money that got them these positions, and... It's like they have nothing else. They know they don't. They 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 are not there because of their natural talents, which are probably none. Yeah. In terms of military activity, mm-hmm. so it's like every time like there's even a hint of someone else, like doing something like a to show them up somewhat, or doing something even just being better at their job than they are. They throw such little hissy fits. It is just, it would be hilarious if it didn't get people killed. Yeah. And, like, change the course of the war. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And so another issue that uh, was caused by this, by placing Burgoyne in charge of the the northern part of the expedition, like the one coming down from Quebec, Germain also angered the aforementioned Guy Carleton. Because he was, if he was the governor of Quebec, he would ostensibly be leading the forces from Quebec into New York. Carleton, because of this, refused to assist or supply Burgoyne's expedition. <laughs> so, another fragile oh snowflake gosh. ego. There's so many salty people in this. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Like, all, like, high-up aristocrats. Which is so weird, because you would think that they would know the dire straits, like, how serious this is, and, like... They would want to help. Maybe the, they just thought it was small potatoes, and they were like, "Nah, it's not a big but, deal." But, but their feelings were hurt. <laughs> but I mean, like, even still, you would think like this is like major. These are major moves that we're making, yeah. and we really need to. We have to band together, even if I'm salty that I didn't get control of this, or this person isn't going to meet up with me, or I'm not going to get the glory. This is important, so I'm going to put this aside. But this is just another yeah. example that the fragility of male egos cannot be understated or overstated. Yeah. I wouldn't say all male egos. Did I say all male egos? No. I just said male egos. Yeah. But as we have learned in literally all of the other episodes that we've had, <laughs> yeah. the male ego cannot be overstated. No. no. Like, I'm pretty sure that we could probably add its root like 
probably like seventy percent of our podcast episodes are about people who are have fragile male egos. Yeah. So yeah, and, and like eighteenth century British aristocrats in the extreme. Oh yeah. Like it is big salty. Yeah. Um. So on June thirteenth, seventeen seventy seven, Burgoyne's force, numbering approximately eighty five hundred men, begin moving south from Canada. Okay. Uh, the western force from Lake Ontario under Barry St. Ledger left on June 23rd, numbering approximately 1,600. Okay. So all in all... A little over 10K. Yeah. Um, Burgoyne's force had a large complement of Native American troops allied to Britain. Okay. Um, in early July, uh, they reached Fort Ticonderoga and they defeat the American garrison there uh, under General Arthur St. Clair. Uh, Sorry ooh. about the pencils. Who would much later go on to be horribly beaten by Native Americans after independence, like uh, here in Ohio? Um, and the name of the, the place is escaping me at the moment, but yeah, his forces were like wiped out. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant that they beat him up. <laughs> no, no. Like, he, he was horribly beaten and kicked and punched. No. <laughs> That's no, what I but, thought you meant. And I was like, yeah. why would they beat him? <laughs> yeah, Northwest Indian War. Um, St. Clair's defeat, pretty, pretty momentous later on, but that's that's for later. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, Howe in New York City, as I mentioned, sailed for Chesapeake Bay in mid-July. <laughs> He's like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, as I mentioned, He's in, we probably just didn't want to share the prestige. Sure. So so he made himself unavailable. <laughs> so. uh, I'm going to be on vacation during yeah. that time, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm going down to Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> going to go... Here are the they... oysters there. are quite fabulous this time of year. I know. I was like, do they have oysters or clams? I was like, is he going clam digging or oyster fishing? The seafood there is great this time of year. <laughs> the food alone, sir. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, St. Ledger's force was uh, coming, you know, east from Lake Ontario. It was actually uh, defeated about halfway oh, there. No. Uh, they were defeated at Oriskany and Fort Stanwix in August, and they were forced to retreat to Fort Ticonderoga to regroup. Dang. Yeah, Surprise. So force from the west, not coming. Oh, boy. Force from the south, not coming. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, another detachment... Or, wait, uh, sorry. Uh, Back to my notes. So the actions at Oriskany actually sparked a civil war amongst the constituent tribes of the Iroquois Confederacy. Oh my god! Because they were because the Iroquois Confederacy was actually made up of at the time six different tribes, mm -hmm. uh, and some of the tribes they pick sides, okay. and then they start fighting each other, oh, and then no. that just snowballs. Okay. So this is another consequence of these actions: is that the Iroquois Confederacy starts tearing itself apart. Mm. So. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, many of the Native Americans deserted from St. Ledger's force. Uh, wow. So he has less men now that are retreating to Ticonderoga. Jeez. Uh, another detachment from Burgoyne's main force was defeated at Bennington on August 16th, losing approximately 1,000 men. Wow. So his force is just getting whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. He's just bleeding, bleeding yeah. people. Well, he made the really dumb move of blaming Native Americans for the loss at Bennington. Oh, well... Causing many of his Native American allies to desert, including most of his scouting force. Okay, well... So now, he's going to have a hard time figuring out where he is... Right. ...and where the Americans are. Yeah, and how many and yeah. all that. So, like, his planning game is just shot. Yeah. It was around this time that he receives word that Howe was not moving north to meet him, 
Bosun said sailing for Chesapeake Bay. Oh my gosh. Worst day of his life. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine him just sitting in his tent for just like hours, just sitting there, just silent, staring at the letter. <laughs> what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, so local American forces began to muster under General Horatio Gates. Okay, uh, I've heard who, that name before. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a little bit of background him here here in a moment. Uh, he had returned north to take command after spending time in Philadelphia trying to persuade Congress to replace Washington as commander-in-chief with himself. Yeah, so Gates, uh, a little bit about him. Okay. Uh, he'd been born in July 1727 in Malden, England. Mm-hmm. Uh, he joined the British Army in 1745. Of course. Uh, served as part of the uh, Braddock Expedition in 1755 into Ohio country during the French and Indian War. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braddock Expedition, uh, kind of a textbook example of British tactics not really working in the woods of Ohio. Mm, mm-hmm. Like the line up in straight line, shoot, reload, shoot, reload, all while staying in a straight line. Doesn't really work when Native Americans and the French are just kind of sniping at you from the trees. Riding you down on horses and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, so like uh, George Washington was part of this, mm. uh, so this is kind of where... Part, kind of where he cuts his chops a little bit. but Okay. Uh, so, Gates uh, resigned from the Army in 1769 and moved to Virginia in 1773 after purchasing a plantation. Okay. Uh, he was commissioned as the Continental Army's adjutant general at the outbreak of the war in 1775. So, he's one of the first, like, high-up generals in the Continental Army. Okay. Uh, and he was promoted to major general and given command of the defense of Ticonderoga and Lake Champlain in June 1776. So... He'd be given command of these areas, but he goes south to Philadelphia to try to persuade them to, hey, I'm better than Washington. You should put me in charge. While he's gone, (laughs) the places he was in command of get taken by the British. Oh, man, that is ironic to the extreme. Dude, what are you doing? I am so much better than Washington. See? Oh. Yeah. My forts have been... Yeah. So, he finally moves north Mm -hmm. to take command of the army he should have been leading to begin with. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, uh, American forces number approximately Mm 9,000. So, they outnumber um, Burgoyne's forces. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing of St. Ledger's defeat and Howe's unavailability, uh, Burgoyne decides to make for Albany anyway, as it was fortified... It was closer to him than Ticonderoga was at this time, and hoping to set up winter quarters there and hope for reinforcements. Oh, boy. Yeah. Pretty desperate at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gates positions his army between Albany and Burgoyne's force, and the two armies clash at the Battle of Freeman's Farm on September 19th. Uh, the British were victorious, but they lose about 600 men that they can't really afford to lose. Right. So, yeah, so, like, kind of going back to this map here, Ticonderoga, like, there's Bennington. That's where they lose. There's Oriskany and Fort Stanwyck, so St. Ledger has to go back up this way. Like, where it says Saratoga, like, that's where this Freeman's Farm battle is. So, these armies are meeting here. It's just north of Albany. Okay. So, as I said, British lose about 600 men at Freeman's Farm. Uh, They kind of try to regroup, uh, but the Americans... Further reinforce another 3,000 men. So they greatly outnumber Burgoyne's forces now at this point. Right, right. And they meet again at the Battle of Bemis Heights on October 7th. Uh, the Americans win a resounding victory. Uh-oh. 
just as a little side note, Benedict Arnold, who was in this battle, uh, he led a charge during the battle, but his horse was shot out from under him, and he fell. The horse fell on Arnold's already injured leg. Um, and that I'll I'll get around the back uh, background of that here in a moment. Okay. But just keep that in mind. There's, there's a little interesting little monument at the Saratoga battlefield to okay. that, but I'll come back to that. Okay. Anyway, the Americans win a resounding victory. Um, Burgoyne surrendered his force after being surrounded. And the two battles are collectively remembered as the Battles of Saratoga. Okay. You've probably heard... Have you heard of that before? Probably would have been, that definitely would have been covered in, like, U.S. history class in high school. I mean, we're talking... I know. 12 years ago now. I know, but it might be something that's sticking in your mind. But but it's one of the more consequential battles of the war. Mm, probably, then. I probably heard of it. It doesn't ring a bell, though, currently. Yeah. Okay. Um, American losses were 90 killed, 240 wounded. British losses were 440 killed, on top of the 600 from earlier. Mm-hmm. 695 wounded and approximately 6,000 captured. Oh my god. Yeah, his whole force is captured. Where do they put all these people? That actually comes into play later. Okay. Um, But, uh, just a little side note. A lot of them, because um, the Americans didn't really know what to do with them, mm-hmm. uh, so they were just nicknamed like the Convention Army, because mm-hmm. they try to have like, like a convention like figure out like what to do with them. Mm-hmm. A lot of them... A lot of them stay interned until the end of the war. Wow. So, six years later. Jeez. Some of them just don't return to Britain. They're just like, well, I've been here long enough. I'm going to put down roots here. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, Word of the... This is the important part. This is why this battle is important. Okay. This whole time, we've had... Or, we... The Americans have had diplomats in France trying to persuade France, hey, join in this war. You hate Britain. We need your help. You hate Britain. Come on. Come on. Help us out here. Mm-hmm. So word of the American victory at Saratoga reaches Benjamin Franklin in France. He's kind of the main envoy there at this time. Mm-hmm. On December 4th, 1777. Uh, however, uh, well, like, the Americans haven't had too much luck with the French at this point. So, But they hear this victory. And King Louis Sixteenth was like, hmm, maybe we should start talking to these guys. So before they were just, like, shutting their doors to them. Yeah. They're like, we're not well, going to help you. Because they didn't want to anger the British. Sure, yeah. Because it's like, you could be, say, like, actively helping a rebellion in their colonies. It's like, they could do the same to you. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But at this point, they're like, hmm. These Americans, they can, they can hold their own. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really get any help with this battle here. They, they defeated the British on their own. They're scrappy. Granted, the British made a heck of a lot of mistakes. Yeah. But, hey, they did it. Mm-hmm. So they begin negotiations. And on February 6th, 1778, France signed a treaty with the United States recognizing the country and entering the war. Wow. Okay. So now, French. Or, French. <laughs> French. The Fran- French are coming. <laughs> France is now involved in the American Revolution. Okay. And this is big. Uh, French involvement eventually draws in Spain and the Netherlands on the American side. Hmm. I did not know that the Netherlands participated. Uh, economically, mm. mostly. Um, they s- just wrote checks. Yeah. They're like, we're big fans. Uh, Here's some money. <laughs> John Adams, like a lot of like what he did in Europe, was trying to get loans from the Dutch hmm. uh, to okay. help fund the government. Wow. So, okay. And, and pay the army. So, uh, they're like, they needed, they needed credit. 
and please, sir, may like I a have lot of and the more? Dutch were like the main bankers of Europe at the time. So they were like, so he was over there negotiating, trying to get loans for the American government. Wow. Um, French assistance would prove key, namely at the Battle of Yorktown mm-hmm. in October 1781, which effectively ended the war in America. Okay. Uh, and the war officially ends with the Treaty of Paris in September 1783. Okay. Um, for a little bit. Of aftermath for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horatio Gates was later placed in command of Southern forces in 1780, uh, but was soundly defeated at the Battle of Camden later that year. He fled from the battle so quickly, like faster than his army. He fled a hundred. He ended up 160 miles away. Oh my gosh! He's yeah. like, I'm out. I'm out. Out. Yeah. I'm leaving. He, he was like, just. Blazing a trail of cowardice. He <laughs> no. never holds a command again. Oh no! Yeah, the guy who said like I was, I I was better than Washington. I should be in charge. He's like peace. Yeah, he he dies in April eighteen oh six. Okay. Uh, Howe's Philadelphia campaign that he wanted to do so badly uh, was largely inconclusive, uh, <laughs> okay. despite defeating Washington at the Battle of Brandywine and mm-hmm. actually capturing Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But is a capturing the Congress. Wow. So. Great job. Um, How he would later resign in April 1778, complaining that he had been inadequately supported. <laughs> Which is ironic, considering the fact... He was the one that... He was inadequately supporting Burgoyne. Yeah. 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 He was the inadequate supporter. Yeah, of course. He would just see it as like, well... He was internalizing uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he succeeded his brother as Viscount Howe in mm-hmm. 1799 before dying in July 1814. So, again, it fails at really his job. But, oh, look at that. I'm a Viscount now. I can just go rest on my laurels. Yep. No big deal. Uh, Burgoyne was paroled. He doesn't remember he had been captured. He was paroled in May 1778, eventually being exchanged for a thousand American prisoners. Wow. Okay. Well, it's like... The British are like the, the pride of them capturing a general. Mm-hmm. It's like he, he, we can't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, his army would, as I said, remain prisoners of war until the end of the conflict. But some of them stayed in America and became citizens. Oh, interesting. Uh, Burgoyne would resign from the army in 1784, dying in August 1792. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germain, after all this, continues in his position leading the war effort even through the defeat of Yorktown. Until he was finally forced to step down in February 1782. Wow. So, most of the war, from late 1775 all the way to after the effective end of the war, this guy was leading the British. <laughs> or, like, was the civilian guy in charge of, like, you know, planning the war effort for the British. He's probably just like, um, I didn't see the two letters. Yeah. It's like, thank God that, you know, this incompetent... Jack Wagon was in charge, and not somebody who had, you know, two brain cells to put together. <laughs> um, but part of him agreeing to resign in February 1782 was that he'd be created a Vi- he was created Viscount Sackville and moved over to the House of Lords. So he took back his old last name. Well, as part of the title, yeah. Okay. So, so his name is now George Germain Viscount Sackville. Oh. Yeah. That's so weird. It's yeah. like, is it a place? Is it a name? Are you Viscount of Sackville or are you Viscount Sackville? It makes no sense. He's Viscount Sackville. I know, but it's just weird. Yeah. But but it's like, 
Because it's like Duke of Edinburgh, Baron of blah, blah, blah. Yes, well, like, a lot of, like, the... I know today they don't really create titles for anybody except for, like, the royal family, or they might give somebody, like, what's called a life peerage. Mm -hmm. Like, most of that... That's what most of the House of Lords is now, Mm -hmm. is a life peerage. Basically, it's not one that's not hereditary. Like, you just have... It's basically an acknowledgement, like... You've done a lot of public service. And when you die, this is it. Yeah. So okay. it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. And it's the lowest ranks of whatever. A lot of times they are like Baron, like I could be like Baron Reynolds. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not place, but, or sometimes they might throw a place in like Baron Reynolds of Vandalia. So. Okay. Weird. Yeah. So sometimes it can just be a place. Sometimes it can be just a name. Sometimes it can be both. Okay. Just what whatever the queen wants. It's also all made up. Yeah. Points don't matter, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but basically, years and years of his incompetent leadership, and he basically just gets promoted upwards. Or I mean, kicked it's or, or cushy. Demoted upwards, I guess. Like he he was never gonna fail. The no. the safety nets here are set up in such a way that no matter what you do, yeah. unless you were captured and then killed by an opposing army. You're going to fail yeah. up anyways. Yeah, fa- yeah, that's just the phrase this thing was failing upwards, but yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, y- yeah maybe you're not ever going to be allowed to participate in any sort of military position again, but you're still going to be in charge of people in the military somehow. Yeah. And also, if you fail at that, we're going to give you a cushy title. Yeah. And, and House of Lords, that's a lifetime appointment. At uh, this time, it's a lifetime appointment. I don't even know what that means. What's the House of Lords? It's the upper house of the British Parliament. Okay. There's the House of Commons and the House of Lords. I don't know what that means. Can you equate it to something in America? Uh, the Senate. Okay. But it has a lot less power than the Senate. So, but they participate in Parliament? Yeah. They, okay. like, the Commons, like, they're the ones that, like, you know, come up with legislation. That's where the Prime Minister is. Mm-hmm. Um, really, like, most of the power is in the Commons. Mm-hmm. House of Lords, um... They can't even like they can't even veto anything. Mm-hmm. Like they can put like what's like called like I think like a paused veto, mm-hmm. where it's like they can delay it for a little bit, mm-hmm. but it, it's nowhere near as effective as our Senate. Okay, so it's not like an equal legislative body anymore. Do they also create laws and stuff like that? I, I don't remember offhand, but anyway, okay. that's not really relevant to this. So he gets a but... lifetime appointment. Like a Supreme Court yeah. justice in Parliament. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, he, but he doesn't, you know, enjoy it for long because he dies in August 1785. The phrase we were looking for is failing forward. Yeah. Failing forward. They're yes. they're just failing forward all yeah. the time. Uh, the American and French alliance, which came from this, uh, while ebbing and flowing over the years, is strong to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, now. I mentioned Benedict Arnold at Saratoga. And his leg, his injured leg. His injured leg. And his horse. At Saratoga, there is a strange memorial called the Boot Monument. And it memorializes Benedict Arnold's wounded leg without mentioning to whom the leg belongs. Basically, it's a stone monument of basically just a boot. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? I, I, I guess I should have had it. Steve, when you're editing this, put a cut here. Because I want to actually just... I guess I, guess I forgot to actually put it on there. Because there's an inscription on it. So yeah, there's the boot monument. There's a picture of it. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. And so basically it says, in memory of the, quote, most brilliant soldier, end quote, of the Continental Army, who is desperately wounded on this spot, the sally port of Burgoyne's Great Western Redoubt, October 7th, 1777, winning for his countrymen the decisive battle of the American Revolution and for himself the rank of Major General, does not mention that it belongs to Benedict Arnold. <laughs> wow. Because they don't want to memorialize Benedict Arnold, because traitor. But... His leg gave great service for this country. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And there's another big Saratoga monument there. There's four sides of it, four niches in it. Uh, one for each of the main generals there. There was Gates, St. Clair. Uh, there's another one escaped me at the moment. And Arnold. But the Arnold niche is empty. The other three have, like, busts of those generals. The Arnold one is empty. See, that, I think that that exact thing is why I was like, nobody knows that Benedict Arnold is a traitor. I guess if you're a student of U.S. history or revolutionary history of America, like American revolutionary history, then maybe you would know, or I mean, I'm assuming definitely you would know. But I honestly, I've heard the name before, but, and I've heard, <laughs> I think in a show that I frequently watch, they're like, wow, what a total Benedict Arnold. And I've just, like, never thought about it. I have no idea what happened to Benedict Arnold. I just know that he's a traitor. Uh, he will probably feature prominently in some future episodes. Okay. Because there's a couple things. Like I mentioned, the invasion of Quebec might be a thing we could talk about. We might talk about Arnold in more detail there. But he, he participated in this battle. Okay. So he wasn't a driving force of it, but he was there. Okay. So. Cool. So, yeah. So, like, if... if you know, Germain had picked a plan and stuck to it, probably could have, uh, the war could have gone very differently. Mm -hmm. you or know, if he had just gotten one letter instead of both. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, or decided like, hey, how I order you to join up with Burgoyne and take part in his plan, which could have easily altered the course of the war. If the Americans were wiped out in New York, do the French join in? Probably not. Wow. So. Okay. So, yeah. But one one tiny decision, mm -hmm. or maybe what he thought was a relatively small decision, ended up being really big. Because I think at the time, wasn't it, like, pretty common knowledge that the British were like, we're going to decimate them. Like, we're, we're going to win. This is a pretty easy... Oh, yeah. It was definitely a David versus Goliath situation. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, Where they were just like... That we don't really need to devote too much brain power to this because yeah. we just are going to slaughter them in terms of numbers, and we have or, uh, better guns. Maybe not even numbers, but yeah, well, certainly equipment, cape, uh, like ability. Mm -hmm. Like these are the, I mean, the, this is the British Empire that is on track to conquer. You know, most of the world. Right, and... Yeah, and, most of it, but a good sizable portion of the world. And these are actual soldiers and not just, like, Militiamen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, farmers and... Yeah. Shopkeepers, so... Pretty much. And really, it's like, you know, more, like, continuing American defeat after defeat after defeat, mm -hmm. eventually it's just like, who's gonna join the Continental Army anymore? Right. Because it's estimated that, like, that, or that the American population at this time was went like three ways i'm saying like way too much <laughs> it's like okay for a 12 year old girl <laughs> um about a third were loyalists 
Mm-hmm. Like those who wanted to stay with the British, a third were patriots or the people who wanted to leave Britain, and about a third were indifferent. Hmm. So it wasn't a situation where most of the population wanted to leave the British. Sure. It, I mean, it was a minority of them, but... And also, of those people, how what percentage actually want to participate in a war? Hmm. Not all of them. Yeah, at what point do you say, like, enough is enough? Right. We lost. I mean, if they lose at Saratoga, Washington's army is getting defeated over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. At what point do you call it quits? Right. So Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so, some of the sources I used... Uh, John Furling's Winning Independence, The Decisive Years of the American Revolutionary War, 1778-81 to 81 from 2021. Richard Ketchum's Saratoga, Turning Point of America's Revolution from 1997. John Luzader's Saratoga, A Military History of the Decisive Campaign of the American Revolution from 2008. And Andrew O'Shaughnessy's The Men Who Lost America, British Leadership, The American Revolution, and the Fate of Empire from 2013. Awesome. Well, uh, can you give us a hint as to what we're going to be talking about next time? Uh, Yes. Uh, Taking a little bit of a detour from just straightforward history, we're going to talk a little bit about film history. Ooh. Uh, And one incident in particular uh, from film history. We're going to learn why you should really, really follow the labor laws. Dang. Yeah. Well, didn't we learn that last time, too? Mm, Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Well, this is for... Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, last time it was almost lack of labor laws. Yeah, that's true. So, lack of decency and workplace safety. <laughs> this is this is definitely more like, uh, yeah, you're kind of skirting the law a little bit here. Yeah, and this one is definitely not lighthearted. I, no. I clued into what you were talking about just yeah, now. Yeah, not, not lighthearted at all. Yeah. So, L- like, less death, but more gruesome and more crappy, I guess you could say. Yeah. So, if you're into that kind of thing... <laughs> Listen into the next episode, which will be episode... 15. 15. And if you are into that kind of thing, please seek help. <laughs> no, but it is important. It yes. is important. Yes. Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects. Uh, the YouTube show, The Drunken Pond, which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer, Steve, on this podcast, um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, which is a horror review podcast, uh, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife, Juliet. Uh, Three Minute Movies, which is a YouTube channel where I attempt to summarize and spoil movies in three minutes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WeEftUp. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is WeEftUp. We